This episode brought to you by Team Stripes Academy. Learn from some of the top officials in the world. Start today at TeamStripesAcademy.com. You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Team Stripes Podcast. I'm Ross, and joining me as always is my co-host, Nat. What's up, dude? Hey, buddy. How's it going? Uh, Good, minus almost stumbling over that intro. Yeah, well, and you know. uh, well, I got distracted. My girlfriend handed me a piece of chocolate, so oh, sorry. Okay, yeah, uh, well, that's, that's timely considering the interview that we just recorded I about. Know, you know, right? wow, yeah. Well, first of all, everyone's getting. I mean, what feels like a bonus? Like we dropped an episode last week, I think. Yeah, and then this week. So look at that, two weeks yeah. in a row, dude. Two in February. It's just you know. That's now a we lot. can take a month off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, we won't be doing that because I do have a couple of people that I want to talk to um, in an episode, maybe next week or the week after, but we'll figure that part out. Anyway, yeah. we have an awesome episode for everybody. Um, yeah. But before we get to introducing our guest today, a couple of things we can talk about from yeah. our glorious Facebook group. Yeah. Dude, so like, let's start with the USHL slash the seventeen yes. games. Like, oh my god! Holy cow! So first, look at that video. I'm just like, oh my god! Thank God I wasn't working that game. Right. Um. Right. Just absolutely. Like, you have the first, the slash. Okay. Well, the first hook, right. So you've well, got the yeah. hook. Yep. Right. So players on a breakaway with no goaltender. Um, you know, goal ten- no goaltender on the ice. Player yep. gets so empty away. net. Yep. And so player takes a solid hook and the dude as USHL guys can do, right? Um takes a big hook and keeps on skating. Yep. So next comes the first slash. Yep. And then, then the second slash. Second slash and the second slash causes the guy to fall, right? Yep. And then comes the third and I think fourth slash, the camera angle yeah. they switch cameras, but I'm pretty sure the last slash caught the guy in the face. Yes. So the player that did the slashing today received 17 or maybe yesterday, 17 games from the USHL. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, so. It was just one of those plays, right? It, I'm not 100% sure if they're 100% three man or 100% four man in the USHL. I'm pretty sure um, they've got a lot of three man. So it's just one of those plays. It's a breakaway, empty net. Um, linesman's got to be flying down the ice because obviously the referee's probably low in the zone. Um, and we can't tell from the video where everybody was, but uh, I'm sure they got, they got it on the ice. So, uh, it, it's a tough one, right? Like it's just one of those plays that you can't predict that that's going to happen. Um, and the the one thing there, though, to keep in mind, right, we have a foul committed from behind with an empty net. So what is the outcome of that play? Right. It's a it's a, an awarded goal. I mean, that's yep. the that. So we have the awarded goal, but then we have potentially potential uh, potentially if I could speak correctly yeah. tonight, potentially now we have the awarded goal and then a major penalty for slashing major game. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, you could even go, I mean, if you're running the, 
I mean, just the amount of slashes. If you're if you're running the the USA Junior Book, right? You're going for a match yep. for the NCAA. You know, I, I'd say that's DQ. a DQ all day, right? No, Absolutely. even even if it's in one of those leagues that you know you're working in, Gino's like, hey, call it a five in game with, and then call for supplemental discipline. And, that's, you know, that's yeah, that's an easy one to go DQ on, right? Yeah, now, I I haven't actually looked at the score sheet, so I'm not really sure what was called here. Um, I probably should have pulled it up, but um, it's just one of those things, right? We have empty net, fouled from behind, no goalie in the net, so awarded goal. And then potentially more. And obviously the league took care of it with 17 games, which honestly, I think that's appropriate because that guy yeah. slashed him way too many times. He was in a vulnerable, a vulnerable position Yep. and he could have seriously hurt him yeah. and he might have seriously hurt him. Cause I don't, I don't know the after, after that. Right. So, oh, that's not um, a hockey play gone wrong. Like no, there's no exactly. hockey play there. No, that, know? that is a hundred percent malicious intent. Um, so then the next thing up is the uh, let's be careful on how we're breaking up fights. Oh, yeah. Um, we had uh, a video. We have no idea what league this is, by the way. I'm not even going to try to guess what league it is. Uh, two guys scrapping at center ice, buckets off. Uh, the player in white gets basically grabbed by the collar and spun and his jersey comes over his head. And then as he's falling, right, the linesman, the one linesman gets the guy in red. Other linesman comes in and the guy with the jersey over his head has no idea it's the linesman. And he just grabs him and pops him. Right in the face. I mean, it takes the linesman down, you know, hard. Um, So, like, that's one of those, you know, as a referee, you're not going to let that stand. But at the same time, as a linesman, if you're not talking. Yeah. um, Because that guy can't see. Yep. You know, I think that that one's just such a it's a messed up situation because the jersey's over his head. Um, You just have to communicate there and maybe even try to keep that guy on the ice. Yeah. Like. Excuse me. Instead of letting him get back up to his feet there. Yeah. Now, granted, he, he does get up pretty quick and the linesman isn't there quick enough right um to prevent that from happening but two like just looking at it like the linesmen are you're we're completely out of the frame there and i I think we're too far away from that fight Mm -hmm. so like you want to be close enough that you're verbal they can hear you you know hey uh linesman here whatever like as you know you got to communicate with these guys because otherwise sometimes stuff like this happens and we don't know who these officials are, so who knows? Maybe they were telling them, and yeah. the guy just, whatever, my jersey's over my head, and I'm going to throw a punch. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing is our safety, right? So we just right. got to be careful in those situations. You know, be vocal, keep your head on a swivel, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to get punched in the face. Right. Right. Uh, and staying with fights, there was another video. Man, you can tell it's mid season because. You know, emotions are starting to boil over between teams and all that kind of stuff. We had that other video, and I'm not quite sure where it's from. It looks like the guys are wearing USA um, USA crests, uh, where players start fighting off the ice, and off the officials, the, yeah. yeah, off the ice, and the officials just follow. Like, and that's one of those guys. If anyone's going to fight off the ice, don't follow. Yeah, them, don't follow. Know? If something like that happens, go over to the scorekeeper and have them call 
the front desk or walkie talkie or radio or whatever. Cause there's parents, there's parents putting their hands on players. Just don't do that. Stay off the ice or stay off the ice, stay on the ice. Yeah. Go tell the scorekeeper what's going on. Have them call security, the front desk, whatever. So they can, you know, appropriately do what they got to do. Yeah. Um, Cause if we're getting off the ice there, like there's potential for you to step on something for you to get pushed. Maybe you get assaulted. Like there's just too many things that could go wrong. Yeah. We've got enough to worry about on the ice. We don't need to worry about what's going on off the ice either. And then another video that we see is from the PEI senior ice hockey. So somewhere up North of the border in the no show, where Shorzy likes to hang out with uh, <laughs> yeah. Goody Hitch, Dolo, and JJ, Frankie, JJ. Um, yep. We see a couple guys cross-check each other. And honestly, here, like, watching this, the and all these videos are in the Facebook group, uh, the officials did a good job. Um, yeah. I think the linesmen did a great job. They took care of the primary. Other two guys separated and kind of rolling around. Other referee comes in, kind of lands on the guy, like, everyone did a great job in that video handling it. So clearly yep. those guys are seasoned veterans in the no show. To, uh, yeah. In the no show when it comes yeah. to dealing with fights. Yeah. Um, we'll have I to ask, uh, was, we'll have to ask our buddy Eric if, uh, if that's standard practice up there. Right. Yeah. And I think there was one more video that I wanted to get to, but now I'm not currently finding it. Um, anywho, lots of goings on there. Um, the uh, I, I saw a really brutal thing in the NHL last night with a Tampa Bay Lightning player having his leg fold under him. Yeah, poor guy Ooh. got carted off. And so Mikhail Sergachev had been gone for 17 games. Last night was his first game back, and now his season's over. Yeah, because tibia fibia snapped and ah. Um, and then um, classy move last night by the Rangers after the game. Um, not only were the, the players and fans, everyone was cool to Sergachev when he was getting off the ice, yeah. but uh, line, NHL linesman Ryan Galloway got a handshake line from the Rangers. Um, not sure if it was his, la- his last game last, last night. I don't know if it's his last his game. Or last if it's a- game at MSG. Yeah, it might have been, right? Maybe the um, last time he's seen the Rangers, but like that's cool. Yeah. They knew they there was a rumor that he was going to retire and they lined well, up. He's definitely retiring at the end of the season. Right. Leave that to be true. Yeah. Um, and uh, no good, good on them for, uh, for going through uh, the handshake line with, with him last night. Yeah. It, you know, a couple, I think the most that can retire a year is four in yeah. the NHL. I believe that's, that's what it is. And it's just always nice to see what the veteran guys that have been there a very long time. Yeah. Getting recognition from the teams. Oh, and then another video I saw, Freddie Lequier worked his thousandth game. Wow. And, and he got a mention. And uh, you know, Darren Pang said, you know, congratulations, you know, something like that for, to yeah. him. And uh, so congrats, Freddie, on a thousand games in the NHL. Yeah. Um, let's see. Another thing we got to mention is our Team Stripes referee camp. Yeah, it's coming back this year, in. right? Yeah, so it was the first. It's the fourth annual camp up in uh, Moncton, and that is run by Brandon Bourgeois, who was the gentleman that started this podcast. Um, so yeah, he runs that camp with with some of the guys up in the Maritimes, and 
They have coaches from different levels of pro hockey, Quebec major junior hockey, and uh, just guys across Hockey Canada. And last year's camp was quite successful. Um, and uh, I know Brandon is looking forward to uh, this this summer's uh, this summer's camp. And then we might have a partnership coming up. I won't spill too much other than that as mm-hmm. far as uh, a camp up in the Northeast. So yeah. that is uh, the details there being worked on. And then maybe someday we'll figure out how to how to do, you know, a, a, like a big team stripes referee camp. Um, I know I've been getting a lot of questions in the U S in the U S in the yeah, U S in the U S yeah, yeah, yeah. in the U S the one, the one in Canada, the one in, in the U S and I've been getting a lot of questions from, from guys and, uh, older referees, like not necess- like over 30, basically, uh, late twenties into their thirties, you know, what can we do to get better? Are there any camps yeah. specifically for us? Um, that might be something we look into. Um, as far as uh, like kind of that demographic goes or uh, just some, and, and some advice there is, you know, futures and uh, district camp and, you know, all those things, USA hockey related, you know, it, it sucks, but they're not really geared towards, you know, the over 25 official essentially. Right. Yeah. They want 18 but, to 25 year olds. Yeah. But you know, there, there's a couple out there, California ref school. Um, trying to think, uh, Sarah has a few, you know, Southeast Academy. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there's some out there, but also like always just talk to your, the guys that have been around your association for a while. And like, you'd be surprised even going out and doing a beer league game. If you're working with a guy like that's just been around that's works high level hockey like hey you know can you give me a hand tonight maybe give me some stuff to work on and it's it's not a camp experience but at least you're you know trying to get advice and learn from guys that are you know been around and doing it so you know always always be willing to learn and try to just do what you can to to get better but absolutely we'll have more there uh coming up in the future um nat you want to introduce our guest for tonight's podcast yeah, absolutely. Right. So tonight, uh, we've got a great guy on. He's a sports psychologist, uh, Dr. Eddie O'Connor. Um, he, he got his degree from the Illinois Institute of Technology, which is in downtown Chicago. Um, he's not a hockey guy by trade. He's actually, he was, a uh, like a, a runner yeah, and that, yeah, he's a runner, but still an athlete and then got into sports psychology. He's been on ES, he's been on ESPN, um, you know, ESPN.com. He's been with the LA times runners world. NewYorkMag.com, CNN, uh, lots of kind of the morning show circuit. Um, you know, he's on SiriusXM's Doctor Radio. He's got a uh, a great one of the great courses out there: Psychology Performance, How to Be Best in Your Life. He's got a great YouTube um, YouTube channel that has a lot of really good sixty second to two minute just kind of tidbits on 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 getting better uh, and and being a better performer. Um, so. Dr. Eddie O'Connor agreed to come on and talk to us about the, the, the mental aspect of officiating and of, uh, you know, just performance. Talk a lot about making mistakes, getting over mistakes, handling emotions, all that kind of stuff. I really loved it, man. I thought it was great. I, Oh, so did I, I learned a lot. I got picked on a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit, but (laughs) you know, but, uh, we learned a lot. Um, you know, and he has such a great, 
attitude and and such a great um such a great kind of outlook on this stuff and he really wants to help folks get better and i think that really came through he's got his own community over over at um dr eddie if you just look up dr eddie or dr eddie uh o'connor um he even has his own kind of uh online community where athletes come in talk about you know that kind of stuff um as far as performance well yeah just you know the whole mental side of everything right absolutely um you know and i thought he was a great guy and and we had to cut it short i mean it's not short it's a full 45 minutes um but it felt like we could have sat there and talked for another hour or two and just learned more and more so uh, with that i think we uh we take a little break here and we'll be back with dr eddie o'connor and I are really excited uh, today. Our guest on the Team Choice podcast is Dr. Eddie O'Connor. Dr. O'Connor, sports psychologist. He's based out of Grand Rapids. He's here to talk with us today about the mental aspects of really just performing athletically and, and officiating and, and how all those relate. Dr. Eddie, man, it is great to have you on. We're humbled that you agreed to talk with us. And I know that I think I can speak for Ross and I both when I say we're really excited just to get into it. Yeah, thanks. You're you're so appreciative, and like you got me to come. Like you didn't have to twist my arm, man. I am so excited to be here and to pour into your community. Um, it's yeah, we've got. I can't wait to see what we're going to get covered here and and help your athletes, uh, your your referee athletes. So uh, so where does your story begin? So I said, you know, as we were talking before, you, you're not you're not necessarily a hockey player, and you said, in fact, I think you said uh, you don't want to see me on the ice, right? So so, but you're an athlete. So so, what was your sport? Um, you know, kind of where, and where did your journey start and how did you, how did you turn that from, from kind of being an athlete into, uh, into psychology? Yeah. Well, so my experience with hockey in the sense is that I've worked with a number of hockey players, um, everything from youth to professional. Um, so I've been around the game and I really appreciate, you know, what, what it takes for athletes and again, the referees and, and how much slack, I guess is the lightest term that I could put that you guys, that you guys take. Um, for myself, and part of why I'm like more of a sports psychologist is I didn't, I wasn't really gifted athletically. <laughs> I had, I had, uh, you know, um, my dad's from Ireland, um, never really got introduced to sports when I was young. So I was interested, but just played around, but never had really any early training or anything. And, uh, I was always the guy though, that I loved people. And even the, like, I grew up in the Bronx and like, even the people we, and you fought a lot in the Bronx. There was, I had one fight a year, at least all the way through elementary school. But those people would still come to me with their problems. I'd throw my arm around them, walk around the playground, and I'd like help them with their problems. Always knew I wanted to be a psychologist, and that's no joke. Um, I ran track. Um, honestly, I picked track because again, I wasn't as athletic, and nobody got cut. <laughs> um, okay. Totally became my identity, and I ran indoor, outdoor, cross country all during the summer, and I was like best of the worst, worst of the best. Um, And really my senior year, I won't go into a big, long story about it, but my senior year, I had this mental block where I just couldn't push through and give it my all because my athletic identity was wrapped up too much in my my time. And it wasn't until I went to school later on that I had figured out that what was getting in the way was this weird psychological thing that I, I would come across the finish line not being tired. 
and then going over to the sideline and throwing up as if I was exhausted. But I remember crossing the finish line being like, oh, damn it, I did it again. Like I could run faster if I just go the next time. So it was this weird way of protecting myself against failure. Now you're probably listening and being like, well, you still failed because you didn't, I didn't run as fast as I could have or should have. But because I had that built-in excuse, it was kind of like it was protecting my ego. So I didn't really notice that all this in high school when I should have had it. But once I went to college and I knew I wanted to do psychology since the beginning, the last class I took as a senior was this thing called sports psych. And I was like, oh, I've got a lot of questions. Like, this sounds really interesting. And once I found out it was a thing, I immediately dedicated myself to that. So I went to graduate school, became a clinical psychologist and studied what uh, athletes suffer from the most. Things like performance anxiety, perfectionism, pressure, reacting to mistakes, disordered eating, injury and rehab is really what I specialized a lot earlier in my career as well. And that's just really been my path ever since is that I see the athletes in front of me and I take the sports psychology, the performance psychology to help them overcome their obstacles to excellence. And it's easy to spread it out onto your referees here. I've also brought it into medical populations like um, chronic pain and, and obesity um, and worked with other performers from, from performing artists and musicians and actors um, to uh, businessmen and women. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of generalization. So that's my beginning. And again, excited to share some wisdom today. Very cool. Very cool. So, okay. So like, let's just start there. So you, you kind of found that thing you were like, Hey, so what is that preparation? Cause I know a lot of officials out there, you know, we work games and a lot of times we'll make the same mistakes or it's like, Hey, I want to go out there and I want to nail this. And they, they, they don't do it or we don't do it. Right. Whether it's a, um, it can be something as simple as, Hey, uh, I'm working on my positioning on the ice and I'm not going to Ross will laugh at this, but I'm not going to do what's called flat backing, you know, and inevitably, uh, where you, you essentially just stick your, your back onto the, onto the boards. Um, and it's like, okay, Hey, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm doing it anyway. And a lot of people struggle with that or, uh, or referees who are going out. It's like, Hey, I, I know that I want to be in position or I know that I want to make the right calls, but I just keep making the same mistakes. And I feel like I could do better. Right. How, how does that mental preparation work? How, you know, how did you break through that kind of, okay, Hey, I, I know I can be better. Uh, and then like, how did, how does that happen? Okay, refs, get out your pen and paper. I'm going to be dropping some bombs here all throughout. Uh, if you're driving, pull over to the side. You're going to want to write this down or at least save this podcast. I'm going to, some of these will be quick fixes, um, but I also want people to appreciate that if there's not a quick fix or sometimes we need to go deeper, there's a way to develop the skills. But here's the quickest fix. I'm going to put everybody, including you two here on the test. Whatever you do for the next five seconds, don't think about chocolate. Go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay right right like that didn't work yeah it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah right well you know, chocolate chip cookies or chocolate milk or something popped into your head and for those that are listening if you're like well no no no, i, I was thinking about my keys or my kids i i bet there was still a part of you that as soon as i said it thought it and then even while you were thinking of your keys you were checking to be sure that you weren't thinking about chocolate which means you were still thinking about chocolate <laughs> yep yep so the quickest cleanup to something like that is anytime we speak in this, what I don't want to do, what I don't want to feel, what I don't want to concentrate on, it's called the ironic response of the brain. What our head does is says, okay, that's a threat. I'm going to pay extra attention to be sure that doesn't show up and looks for it. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? So you think that that would yeah. be helpful, but what ends up happening, we see this by athletes all the time, when they don't want to make a mistake, they make a mistake because that's okay. what they're concentrating on. So the way to fix it is that as soon as you catch yourself doing it and you're normal and you're healthy, there's nothing wrong with you, you're not broken. It's a human thing. But when you do it, 
you simply just recognize, oh, what is it that I want to do instead? Okay. And this is what I mean more by like the positive thinking. It's not optimistic, but it's in the sense of where do I want my actions to be? So if you don't want to do something, what do you do instead? If you don't want to turn the puck over, what do you do instead? If you don't want to make a bad call, where should you be putting your eyes so that you make the best call? He said, if I don't want to be, you can coach me through this. If you don't want to be, what did you call it? Flatbacking? Flatbacking. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't want to do that. What would you do instead? Yeah. You want to, I mean, you want to face the play and face the puck, right? You want to be an arm away, you know, arms distance away from the boards and face there the you play. Go. Yeah. So that's what you drill into your mind when you're out there and you have that sense. And I don't want to make this mistake and I don't want to flat back. Okay. Then what do I do? Okay. Lean into it. And then you keep that mantra going and that's the quickest fix. So what about, you know, let's say we ma- now we make that mistake, right? We make that first mistake. We make that crummy call or, Hey, you know, um, you know, what's the first thing that we, like, how do we get over that? How do we get over that, that kind of like that attitude of, man, I really wish, you know, my arm went up too early. I really wish that I could get that hooking penalty back because, you know, it really wasn't that much of a hook and and I should have let it go. But instead, you know. Um, and that's something that happens all too often when we skate down the ice. We'll see what we think is a penalty. Our arm goes up and they're like, eh, I probably shouldn't have done that. I really right. wish my arm wasn't up right now. Right. But we got to go through with it, right? We, we, we signal that there's a penalty uh, and it's going to happen. So now we've called that penalty. You know, how, do, how is the, Hey, how do you get over? Um, how do you get over that mistake? How do you move forward from that? And rather than kind of trying to dwell on it. And I'm going to guess, correct me, but what you're saying is that typically this is what I see in my clients is that now that mistake is staying with me the whole time. I don't want to make it again. I'm thinking about it. I'm distracted in my head thinking about the mistake and I can't pay attention to the plays that are going on on the ice in front of me. Correct. Correct. Yeah. More or less. Yep. So again, I'm going to be a little verbal surgeon here and say, those are two different things. How do I get over it? And how do I, you know, move on? Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest that you actually don't get over it. I'm going to give everybody another quiz, another test. I'm going to give anybody call into the show. I'm going to give you a million dollars. If you can do this, that the next person that you see, I want you to go outside or look outside your window, but the next stranger that you see, I want you to fall madly in love with him and her, him or her. Can anybody do that? Yeah, no way, right? No, like, yeah, can, no way. You could fake it. You could run right out there and propose and give whoever it is a hug and a kiss. And you could, you could literally stay committed to them and marry them the whole time. But, but yeah. feel this emotion. Yet we are told all the time in sport to feel this, don't feel that, as if, our emotions are something that could be controlled. Here's another, here's another question. I'm going to give you $2 million for this one. I want everybody to think about where you went to high school. Now forget it. Ross, where'd you go to high school? Um, Riverview High School in Riverview, Florida. Thank very you. original, very original name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, and I've had some athletes lie to me and I'm like, look, come on, play the game for real. Like, and they're like, I don't yeah. remember. Like, I don't you remember. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you, you laugh because you're like, well, there's no way I could forget that. So why do we tell people to forget about the mistake that they just made? I understand the spirit of it. The spirit is that we don't want to dwell on it. We don't want to repeat it. But let's be really clear. You're not going to forget it. You're not because you care so much. This is what I mean about you're not going to get over it. You have every right to be upset about the mistake that you just made. As referees, 
you are giving so much of your time and your life and you're taking so much crap from people and it's a thankless job. And I know the only reason you're doing this is because you care so much and you have an integrity. And if we're going to tell you to like, oh, it's just one mistake or just let it go, you probably feel insulted. Mm-hmm. I hate when people yeah. tell me to get over things that I don't want, that I'm really upset about. It invalidates my experience. I'm like, you don't understand how much this means to me. And then that creates more of a battle, which makes us hold even more tightly onto it. So I needed that foundation to get you to the first point is to actually embrace the mistake. Admit to yourself. And if you can have a moment of self-compassion, be like, yeah, of course I'm upset. I really messed up here. I wish I did better. And because, so here's step two, because you're so invested and you want to be a great referee and you have an integrity about the quality of of performance that you want to have in this game, again, you go say, so then what's the best way for me to respond to it? What can I do now? And again, it brings you back to that action step of, I need to let it settle because it's because what I want to do is be in the present moment and make the next call. And you do that feeling bad. You don't have to be confident. You don't have to feel better. What you need to do is really tie into your identity as a high-level referee and keep striving for that throughout the game, bringing the sadness or frustration along with you as you do it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, guys? It oh, does, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's funny because, like you mentioned, you know, giving yourself that compassion and knowing you made that mistake and being okay with it. And something that we teach referees that every once in a while, it's okay to go to the bench and tell a coach, Hey, I messed up and we're going to try to be better the rest of the game. So like, that's, you know, that's coming from the outside. Like that's an important thing for everyone to realize. Like, and we know that we can't be perfect all the time, but when we do have something happen, we don't want to be too hard on ourselves. Yeah, Ross, that's perfect. And I'd, I'd like to pause here only because in my experience of 20, 30 years here, these become cliches. We're not perfect. It's okay to make a mistake. And yet our experience tells us different things because when, we're, when we aren't perfect, we get yelled at. There are consequences. People suffer. We lose the game. Coach comes out on the ice and rips me a new one. You know, if I go over there and you say that it's okay and that to admit my mistake, but he's going to be mad and he's going to report me and I'm, I might have consequences and I might not make the playoff roster because I made this mistake. So I want to be careful when we say that it's okay. It's not okay in a lot of the ways. I want, I want to align myself with the refs out there. Mistakes are not okay. And they happen and there's a best way to deal with them. And so Ross, to your point, the maturity that you can show, the, the honesty that you can show, say, hey, I messed this up. The promise that you can make to say, here's how I'm going to correct it and I'm going to fix it can actually garner a lot of respect. To act like it didn't happen or to minimize it and say, look, we just got to get over it and push it away. It kind of shirks our responsibility. I'm not going to say that the coaches aren't going to be happy with you when you made the mistake, but when you own it, you're going to get respect, if not in the moment, at least later on, because you're being man or woman enough to, to admit it and own that responsibility. And that's what I'm sure they're trying to teach their athletes. And I I wish the whole world would just own their mistakes a little bit more because we do make them and nobody likes them and they're never okay. And they're part of the learning and growing process. Yep. So like what you're saying is, you know, you got to accept that you can't, 
you know, we use the term that the military and the, the fighter pilot world is compartmentalized, right? Like, hey, that happened. You can't, you don't have time to deal with it now. So you're just gonna have to compartmentalize that. They're really poor about, about acknowledging like, okay, now you have to actually go back and deal with it. Like that's the part, like you can't just keep it locked away in a box forever. You're going to have to go back and, and acknowledge that, Hey, that happened and you've got to learn from it somehow. Uh, I hope we all learn from, you know, from the mistakes that we make um, so that we can get better. Yeah. I don't know if you're dropping, you know, you're dropping science there, but my colleagues in the military, they told me they call it pragmatic acceptance. Yeah. And the idea there is you're in battle. And your best friend just gets blown up next to you. You're going to have feelings about that. However, if you engage those feelings at that moment, your risk of death also increases. So right. what they have to do is to say, hey, you know, go talk to the psychologist later on. But right now, we're a man down. How do I adjust? You have to be cold and pragmatic in that aspect of it for your survival. And so while sport may not be to that same degree or level, there is sort of a time and a place for everything. And it's, it's, again, with the respect, when people say that, like, well, you just got to compartmentalize as if that was easy. I think I've seen so many people say, but how, but how? Here's the how, is that you respect that there's only a certain amount that you can do right now. So if you're in war, the how is because, well, my life depends on me adjusting to what's happening right now. And I will, I will respect my feelings later. I'll, I'll put, there is a time and a place for it. And if you're in a game and you're refereeing, now is not necessarily the time to deal with the emotions of how I disappointed myself. You can do that later on, but it continues to ground yourself in the who do you want to be? What kind of referee do you want to be? And what would that look like? And so you strive for it in that moment. And that's the positive motivator that you can actually do in order to compartmentalize. And then how do you go back, right? So, but then, you know, after the game, after the game, right? Kind of the, as we're, we're calming things down, that's when it's, it's good to like, okay, hey, let's go back and Let's actually discuss that, you know, uh, or for yourself, whether you're watching your game films or you're, you're, you know, in the locker room with your crew um, or in between periods, right? You know, we have 15 minutes in between periods where it's like, hey, has anybody got anything? Hey, you know, we start talking about, um, you know, what that, you know, if Ross and I are working a game, it's like, hey, that hook, I really didn't like it. What did you think? Um, I think that's a, at least that's a good place to do it. And then we can kind of go from there, right? Absolutely. The difficulty with feedback is that it hits everybody's ego. Like we love the positive feedback. And so my hope is that your team, your, your, your organization, we, we talk about trying to create this culture where feedback and growth is essential. You might've heard the growth mindset. And, and that's the approach that we take on here. Again, that we don't like mistakes, but you want to become really curious about it because it's those informations about where you messed up is the only way that you can get better. And if you separate out your ego from it, it's like refereeing is something that you do. It's not who you are. So when you make a mistake and, and people are just correcting the behaviors, especially when it's done in the spirit so that you can become a better referee, then we're on the same page. And I can challenge you and I can give you feedback about this podcast after we're done. And you know, yeah, here's sure. what have done better. And rather than yeah. you being upset about it, <laughs> right? Say, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not a perfect podcaster. I'm not a perfect sports psychologist or yeah. podcast guest. And if we could receive that information in a way so that I can do it better next time, it doesn't. Again, it doesn't feel great, and it makes all of us better. We got to really stop prioritizing our feelings. Ultimately, if I'm going to summarize my career, that's what a lot of it is. Is I, I help my athletes and referees and, and you name it. Kind of say, hey, I don't care as much about how you think or feel. 
I care about your performance. And that means we have to bring some of this uncomfortableness, this discomfort, this, this pain along with us, because that's the way it is. And when we, when we miss it and we just want to feel good, well, then our performance suffers as a result of it. Yep. And oftentimes that time in the locker room, like that's our safe space to be able to have that um, discussions and the, the critiques, whether it's positive or negative. And I know a lot of guys sometimes take a personal, which you can't do because like there's, you know, the business and personal side of it, there's the stripes and there's the you. And it's not like you on purpose went out and did that. Like, but when we're talking about this stuff, it's like, oh, okay, well, you feel bad about that. But what, what can you do better next time to be able to, you know, be in the right position or even just mentally move on from that block of, okay, I messed that up. How do I, you know, how can I fix myself so it doesn't snowball throughout the game? And, you know, there's a lot of officials like that have been around a long time, like me and Nat and other guys that are able to help our younger officials do that. But then like sometimes like even like me, I know I throughout my career, I've gotten into points where I'm just like, oh God, it's snowballing out of control. And I know the mechanisms to fix it, but not, but I can't because I am now mentally blocked because this is just what it is in this game. Um, so it's nice hearing all this, that's for sure. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correct, Ross, like what you're saying is, is that if we don't, if we don't address those emotions, and this is the, the hardest part, is that we want to always skip to the fixing part and the behavior part. Mm-hmm. And I'd say 99 out of 100 people I consult with, the idea is that they don't take enough time to truly respect their emotions. And if you're between two people and somebody's flipping out emotionally and you're like, okay, yeah, I can see you're upset and I've acknowledged their emotions. And then you jump to the feedback. You got to pace yourself with them. It, it, you might find that now is not the time for the feedback because they can't receive it. So then don't give it. You know, we have to work together with, with these people and kind of say, you have to be in that emotional openness and be ready to receive it. Like, this is a bit of a tangent, but I think we've all maybe been sport parents. I like to talk about the idea of the car ride home for my sport parents. Like it's the worst thing that youth athletes for the last 30 years have said they can't stand it because they get in the car and mom or dad are going to give them all the things about they need to do better. And I'm like, you got to let the kid chill, like give him an hour, give him the drive, take him to McDonald's. Don't skip the ice cream just because, you know, he didn't score. <laughs> you know, right. this car ride yeah. home is terrible because we want to tell our kids and give them the feedback. But that's, yeah. that's on us and we, we're not ready and to pace ourselves and say, are they ready to hear it? And most of the kids, and I hope most of the people we work with, our teams, our colleagues, you know, when they're ready to be open to it, that's when we can, we can present it to them. So those are the two big heavy aspects. Let them settle in and get themselves ready and open for the feedback in a non-defensive way. And most people don't get to that emotional place, which is why we have so much conflict. It's not a given and it's very difficult to get there. You know, I think that's interesting that you kind of bring up because a lot of us, when we talk about how, you know, one of the key factors in good feedback is it's got to be timely, you know, uh, but I think we mistake perhaps timeliness for immediacy. Um, I think that's something that, you know, you're right. Like just because it's, you know, timeliness doesn't mean immediate. It means at the right, at the right time, right? Still reference. So you don't want to wait three weeks, but you're right. That car ride home, uh, probably not the right time. I promise, you, I promise you quick tips. So guys, get yeah. your pen out again if you're listening. Write this down. When you want to give feedback, ask for permission. Ross, can I give you feedback right now? Or are you open Absolutely. to it? Absolutely. 
And if he says yes, then you've got the green light and it's put him in a posture where he's saying, yes, I want you to tell me something bad about myself, <laughs> yeah. more or less. Right, right, right. But you've asked the permission. So he's already now, as a result of saying yes, put himself in a posture where he's bracing and ready to, to receive it. And many of the times you'll get no. Like I said, from the kids, most of the time, right after the game, they're like, no, I don't want to talk about it right now. So depending on the situation, you start to bit the immediacy. You're right. You don't want to wait a month and forget what it's about. But you can either say, okay, and give them, you know, especially if it's just happened, give them some time. Or you could say, when, when would you be willing to talk about this? Like mm-hmm. if this is more of a professional atmosphere or a coach who says like, hey, I got to give this kid feedback. Yep. You know, we have to get this done sometime. And the, and the athlete, the ref might say something like, just give me five minutes. Give me an hour. Can we do this tomorrow? I just need to take the night and get that agreement. And again, that's how you align yourself with somebody and they'll be much, much more receptive to the feedback and both of you will get better results. As a and result. that's, that's great advice because in our business, all too often, especially at the higher levels, it's game ends, we're in the room, we're lucky to have our skates off and our, the supervisor walks in. And it's like, okay, like now granted when we're at that level, like we've accepted by working that league that we are going to get immediate feedback. Um, but sometimes like at the, there's that, oh great, here we go, you know, and maybe you do want to be able to sit and process it for a while. So that's, it's, uh, it's interesting, like approaching it that way, especially now knowing that with when I'm out mentoring or dealing with younger officials, that's the first thing I'm going to say to them from now on. Like, are you, you know, are you ready to, to get some feedback? Yeah. Can I elaborate of, on this a little bit more? Yeah, too? absolutely. Because when I hear that, well, this is the only time we have, like, let's say the supervisor's like on a flight to, you know, Canada to do another thing. And, you know, I have to give you the feedback right after the game. If you know that that's sort of the structure of it, then it becomes up to the person who's going to receive the feedback to know, hey, if I'm going to be ready or not. I know it's now on me and I have to own it. The feedback is coming. So can you take everything you learned in this podcast so far and just be like, I don't, I don't get to decide. So then the onus becomes a lot more on that. If it has to be given at that point for some organizational reason, then it becomes more to the athlete that says, I'm the one that wants to get better. This feedback is for my benefit. And then I have to really make it uh, an emphasis and my responsibility to get myself emotionally there. If I'm the one giving the feedback, and you could do this in an organizational way too, is to change the way that we do it. A, a, a company that I work with um, does a great job. So when it's time for feedback, it says, okay, we're going to start off with appreciations and then feedback. And you balance it. So you start off with one, two, three things that the referee did well. And then we say, okay, are you ready for some, you know, uh, some encouragement or things that we could do better? And get that agreement, yes. But you start them off by seeing where they did well for, and it's not just this beatdown of all the things that you could get better and never get the positive reinforcement. Because I'm sure out there you've done tons of things well, especially referees. 99% of the time you're doing things awesome and you spend an hour talking about the 1% that went bad. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing too, over the year, in the years that Nat and I have been around, a lot of it has changed from that negative, negative, negative in supervisor to, we don't really even use that term anymore. We call them officiating coaches Mm. and we go more positive. And then we do the, you know, this is what you could do better, but you did this great and you did that. And then you go back and forth. So just again, like reiterating that and hearing that from you for all of our listeners that go out and supervise, that's the way we need to change and continue to do it this way now. 
And Ross, I keep picking on you, so I'm sorry, but more more verbal. Like I'm all good. Person. I've got this I, community. I, hey, hey, I am used to being picked on, <laughs> um, I, and I'm usually right? really good at handling it because I'm so used to it. Good. So let me ask again: Are, are you open to some feedback here, live on the air? Absolutely. <laughs> So in my success stories community, it's a community that I have of athletes and high performers uh, where we, we practice all of these things. What, I have this thing called curse words. And one of the ones that I have in there is, is the word, but Be, because once we say, but we kind of cancel everything ahead of time. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, you did all these great things. You give them all these affirmations. You say, but then you made these mistakes. And then all of a sudden, everything that we said earlier disappears. So when we say, and it becomes all inclusive. That is a critical word if you're, especially if you're finding that you're trying to navigate their feelings uh, and saying like, okay, like it's okay, you did well and all this, but da 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 da. Anything yeah. that you've done a power for that just just disappears. So, real quick, again, write this down. People who are listening, replace your butts with and, and you'll find you'll find powerfully different conversations and effects happening. So okay, so it's switching gears a little bit, right? So let's talk about kind of performance and and. The goal that everyone has, players, coaches, officials, is that your performance steadily gets better throughout the season. You know, so you're, you know, you know, the so that hopefully the 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 players who are playing in the championship game, the officials who are working the championship game, that's going to be their best game of the year. And they've just everyone has built built on that and gotten better. What happens and how do you get over that? Hey, you're starting to notice that either your performance is stagnating, um, or that it, it may, you know, you may start getting into some games, getting into a slump where suddenly it's like, man, I'm just not, I'm getting slower. I'm not getting better. And I should be, you know, what are some of the techniques? How do, how do you, how do you open that up? What, what, uh, what, what do you, what do you do? What do you tell yourself to kind of start to, to get back on track? All right. I'm going to quiz you because we already had 30 minutes of curriculum here. Right. So- <laughs> right. What are you prioritizing in your question to me? How do you get like, how do you get better? I guess that's the thing. Hey, I'm note again, I'm, you're, I'm focusing on the, wow, I'm not doing as well as I wanted to. And then focusing on that now saying, wow, I'm really not doing well as, as well as I want to. And I want to get better and I'm not. It's like, there's a mental block there probably because we're focusing on the negative and not on, Hey, what do I need to be doing to get better? And where do I visualize myself? know, in the right position or making the right call to get better. 95%. Like you, like you don't need me anymore. And so where I caught you was on what the question that you had started off. You said, how do I get over this? So right away, you saw, I sat back and I was like, that's an emotional question. Your feelings. I'm like, it like, how do you get over it? It's like, well, you could quit if you want. And then that's don't deal with this anymore. But that's not really the answer that you were looking for. Right. Yeah. Asked, how do I get over this? But what you really wanted, Nat, was you're like, how do I get better? Yeah. So in your hearts, in your minds, in the words that come out of your mouth, practice that. Say, like, what do I really want? I don't like the way that I've stagnated. How do I get better? Because the questions that you ask are going to inform the answers that you either tell yourself or that you get from other people. So if you, if I just went with it and you said, how do we get over it? I take my psychology or an average psychologist might kind of go in and talk about you know, deep breathing and all this emotional regulation. But what you want to know is how do I get better? Okay, well, that's different. If you're stagnating, ask yourself the question, what am I doing to get better? 
And many people will often kind of say, well, really not much. I just kind of thought the passage of time or, you know, just each game as a season goes on, you just naturally get better. And a lot of people really don't respect enough deliberate practice. The idea that, yes, at the beginning, our learning curve is easy. You know, if you're going to put me out on the ice, I would skyrocket and get better relatively quickly because I haven't done much of it. But if I'm in it for six, seven years, I got to work 10 times the amount to improve one tenth of the amount. <laughs> it right. becomes a finer yeah. line as you go through. When we get to the Olympics, for example, people train for, for four years to get just a little bit better. Right. And so the amount of effort that it takes, if you've plateaued, what I've often seen in my athletes and performers is that what, what they've done to get them there is not going to get them to the next step because it only got them there. So do you have to do more? So what is it? Do you need to improve your sleep? Do you need to do some mental training? Uh, do you need physical conditioning? Do you need you know, skating drills? Do you need to conceptualize the game better? Mem memorize the rule book? Like, I, I don't know. Don't, don't take my advice for sure. <laughs> but you got to look at it and you say, there's a reason that I plateau. And, and listen to my tone. There's a reason that I plateau. Not, oh, mm -hmm. I'm not, just not getting better. Like, why would we be entitled to just getting better? We're, yeah. we're, we can't be. So, so respect the process of excellence. And if you've plateaued, it simply means that you're not doing enough. Not you're not doing enough. Yeah. You're just not doing enough. And so you get to make a choice and say, hey, and this happens to athletes at every level. And I work with them. Like they all, many of them come into my office because they're jumping from, you know, eighth grade to high school, high school to club, club to pro. You know, it just keeps going up and they have to keep making a decision about how much do I want to invest to take that next step. And many will, will keep going, but many kind of say, I don't know if I want to do that extra. It takes up more of my time, my life. You get more imbalance in your life. I mean, again, you referees, a lot of you are not doing this full time making, yeah. you know, six, seven figures. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, most, right. most of us are guys that work Monday through Friday or guys and girls who work Monday through Friday, our normal job. And then on the weekend, because we yes. love hockey, we go get out on the ice and, you know, yeah. it's something that we've just gotten good at for many of us. It's just extra side money to, to help pay the bills or right. others it's exercise. And so, you know, there's the top 1% of officials that are skating you know, the two, three letter leagues and making that five, six figure salary. But for the most part, everyone else is, you know, just, this isn't our full-time gig. And, right. and so what I ask you to do is just respect the process. Like yep. if you've just gotten started, just doing it every Saturday, you know, you can improve for a little bit, but you have to respect the process of excellence without judgment. And you get to decide how it is in your life. And I say you have a choice of two things, either become comfortable in your plateau and say, this is what I'm willing to give. Therefore, I'm going to settle into this result or then say I'm willing to sacrifice and pay more because I want that extra thing. And it'll come from somewhere else in your life. You just have to respect the process of excellence. Yep. And it's funny because that just in my head is something that my dad always told me. It's what you put into it is what you get out of it. And that's kind of what I'm hearing there. Yeah. Yeah, that's Absolutely. a good Good summary. So, so, you know, and it's kind of like, Hey, preparing, you know, you, you talk about a little bit about mentally mental preparation for games. And I say, Hey, for big games, but you know, I'm a, I'm of the ilk that, you know, I don't think that we ever rise to the occasion. I think we fall to our training. You know, so in our habits, you know, uh, especially under a stressful situation, which 
refereeing in a big game can be a very, you know, playing a refereeing in a big game can be a very stressful situation. Good stress, um, but stressful nonetheless. It's something that, you know, so how would you say just preparing and getting, preparing for games and, and uh, you know, are you a big proponent of visualization? You know, hey, I like to visualize myself. We, we do that. The pilot world does that all the time where, you know, just because it's so expensive. So if you can sit for 20 minutes and visualize yourself flying around the, the, the local landing pattern or um, that way, at least when you see it, your brain is in tune to, hey, this is what I want to be looking for and all that kind of stuff. Is that is that something that you also kind of agree with as far as helping to get into, uh, you know, doing the prep, the mental preparation thing, visualization, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I can talk a little bit about it. The funny thing is when I first went to graduate school and they talked about visualization or, or imagery, and I'll explain why I like imagery is a better term, but um, I was like, what's all this daydreaming going to do? I daydreamed about a lot of things that didn't just happen. And so I was like really against learning imagery in graduate school um, until I started to look at the science of it. And I'll never forget that um, back in the day, this will let you know how old I am, but the kid in play, the, the kid in play kickstep, like I had loved it, but I couldn't do it. But I would think about it all the time and watch the videos and this and that. I remember one day after thinking about it all the time, because I'd worked as a doorman in Manhattan um, for the summer. So I had a lot of hours, midnight shift where I'm just thinking, I remember standing up and then all of a sudden I had it and I started doing it. And I was like, how did this happen? Like, cause I did so yeah. little practice of it, but I did tons of not knowing at the time visualization of it. And the science actually shows that when you have a, a clear image, that you're actually activating the brain that sends neural impulses to the muscles and you can get real physical learning. They're not strong enough to actually flex, but they've shown this in, in all sports. Uh, okay. And I call it imagery because it's more than just seeing it. If you're just seeing it, like we would think about in visualization, it's okay. But the science has really found out that we want to have all of our senses involved to have what we call functional overlap to create as much real life experience as we can. So the most powerful images, if you're going to imagine it, is for you to actually be standing up, not sitting in your bed and, and kind of daydreaming, but rather actually be up and, and move around. To do it at the ice rink so that you can actually feel the cold and have other scenarios that are similar. Be very intentional about the task that you're imagining. What do I want to get out of this image? So whether it's a matter of I want to be able to you know, focus my eyes on this or you rebound from a mistake that way, there's a specific task that you want to kind of go through the beginning and middle and the end so that you're rehearsing it as a script. To your point, you can do all of this with, um, you know, one right after the other without getting wear and tear or, 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 or ice time or, or things of that nature. So it becomes really advantageous to include the emotions. That's, I think, the big one that you were talking about. I love, I love that phrase. I'm, I wrote that one down of like, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. And really what a lot of gets in the way is in these big moments is, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm more anxious than I thought, or I feel more pressure than I thought. And you can't necessarily just see that. So if you can recreate that rapid heart rate, that muscle tension, remember the other big moments, and imagine yourself doing that. Imagine making the wrong call, throwing that arm up and making the mistake, and then dealing with those emotions and coming back. In those ways, when you use imagery like that, it can be extremely powerful because you can rehearse anything that could go wrong. And then if it does go wrong, you're like, I've already handled it. I already have a plan. I've seen mm -hmm. this before. Cool. Very cool. I like it. I like it. Um, so what about a couple of, just one last thing here uh, before we, you know, I'll kind of open it up to you to talk about, about just some stuff. But 
young officials dealing with adults, right? So teenagers dealing with adults and adult coaches. One of the things that we see, especially in officiating across all sports, is that you have 15, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds who are, you know, they're athletes, they're trying to get good. They're a lot of times we have uh, we have guys who get on the ice as officials when they're that young because they want the extra ice time. They want to get more comfortable on their skates and improve. Um, but they still have to have an, a kind of a, an, a positional authority over adults. And that can be really difficult for, for someone who is a teenager. Um, what, what kind of advice do you have for them on, on hate, whether it's conflict, you know, especially dealing with kind of conflict between them where the natural order of things is for the 30 year old adult to be, to be in charge of that, that 14 or 15 year old kid. How do you, how do you, what advice do you have for someone who's got to break with that norm? I would say to that the context matters. So in what situation are you allowed to race up against somebody and slam them against a wall? I mean, on a hockey like, rink and a hockey, a hockey rink. rink. Yeah. Right. If you yeah. took that behavior and did that in the high school hallways, right. Or if you and I went outside and did that to the first person we saw that we couldn't fall in love <laughs> with, but we, we decided to <laughs> right. against the wall instead, that, that wouldn't work. Right. So, so the context matters. And so I encourage these, these younger referees to let age go, go away. It's like, I understand why all this stuff will intrude and, you know, the power differential and I'm, even the older people are going to be like, what's this kid doing? But honestly, you're the one with the authority in the context of what's going on right now, you're the ref. And I'm going to assume that if you're the ref, you've got some training, like, I'm not saying that you're the best, but you're trusted to do the job. You have all the power to do the job. And I would double down on that. And when the thoughts about, oh, the, the self-limiting beliefs or the doubts, well, I'm not old enough. I'm not as good as I could be. This is what we were talking about earlier. Or actually, we didn't talk a lot about it. But what I, I spend most of my career talking about is, like, of course, you're going to think those things. Let me kind of go to a tangent and I'll, I'll bring it back. But, but so much of my work on performance anxiety has to do with the negative thoughts that come into our head. And as I said earlier, you care about being a referee. So you're going to worry the most about being a referee. This is what the human brain does. We worry the most about what we care the most about because if we don't get it, it's going to hurt us the most. It's our survival instinct trying to protect us. So the more you care, the more your head is going to tell you about all the things that could go wrong. And people think that they've got some type of pathological anxiety that they have to get over and get past. And I'm like, no. I tell you, most of my athletes get better in their first session because I'm saying, how else are you supposed to think? Honestly, there are threats. Yeah. You are likely to make a mistake. People are likely to yell at you. <laughs> you know, people yeah, are, yeah, right, yeah. are likely to have some type of attitude and think that you're just a, a dumb high schooler. Am I supposed right. to tell you don't worry about it? No, it's like there's a big bear in front of me. And you're telling me to just, you know, think that it's friendly. Like, that's, it makes yeah. me angry how we try to counsel people. Yeah. Things. So, so my friends, those threats and those worries and those fears that you have, they're, they're real threats. And the best way to handle them is to say, okay, I get it. What's the best thing that I can do as a result? I'm the ref. Their judgments of me are not going to move me in any helpful direction or make me a better referee. So I'm going to let them own their anger. I'm going to let them own their opinionated selves. And we could go on and on about what, you know, these people kind of bring into it, but, but young refs, they're not your problem and you have no responsibility on managing their expectations or anything else. They have nothing to do with your ability to referee that game. 
So you don't have to fight them. I just say, let them go into the background, like that terrible music that's on the radio that you can't shut off, but you just don't listen to. It's annoying and you might have to really dial in and focus on what you want to do, but know that the questions that we asked earlier in this podcast, they apply especially to you in those situations. What do I need to do in order to perform my best? Where do I guide my eyes? Where do I focus my ears? And just do that. It's hard, but I'm saying if you double down on that simple instruction and say, it's simple, but it's all that I need, you're on the fast track to being your best. Love it. Love it. Now, I have a question. Um, as I've gotten older with um, and got, getting further and further away from my days of playing youth hockey, sometimes I find it a little harder to understand like where the younger athletes are coming from, especially like at the junior age of 16 to 20 year olds with their emotions and all that kind of stuff, being a referee and dealing with them. What I mean, and, and especially like for you, cause you deal with a lot of, you know, younger athletes when a young athlete gets emotional. Now I'm an adult or even any referee really like when you're on the ice and hockey's a very emotional sport what are ways to maybe calm them down or empathize or be able to handle, you know, like an outburst from somebody in that, that mindset. Cause obviously, right. Like they're young, their brains are still developing and it's, they're a lot, it's a lot different, I guess, um, on their end than our end. So like, what are some tips and advice like in, in dealing with athletes at like, especially in that age range? Yeah, I think it would really depend on the time and the situation. Um, so let me let me clarify here. It's like what 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 is the role of the ref in managing an athlete's emotion? Let me start there. Um, Nat, go ahead. I know you. you had- I, I mean, I guess you know we really don't have one, right? I mean, that's the that we manage the game. Uh, you know, we call the penalties. The big thing is just making sure players are safe, right? So yeah. As, as you said, right. Hey, hockey, you're allowed to take someone who's got the puck and slam them up against the boards, you know, and someone who takes a big check, um, can get, even if it's legal, you know, still can get quite, you know, man, I just, I just got pummeled. Um, and I don't like that. And, and, you know, your natural fight or flight response probably goes to with a lot of these guys is, as we're already skating and and physically exerting is going to go to fight, you know? So how do you, you know, we always talk about trying to talk players out of penalties. Um, but as we see, you know, the temperatures rising and there's certain players who are just, it's like, Hey, how do, how do we help the situation to essentially, okay. you know, manage the game. So, to, so nobody crosses that line, right? Cause it, because once they cross the line, we've got to call the penalty, but I would much rather be able to talk to a player, um, you know, as a referee or as a linesman, a linesman, you know, kind of, as they get in between players, it's like, how do you, how do you, get their focus back to, to being a little bit, a little bit more rational and less emotional and, and kind of out of the fight um, response, if, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, I think that helps. And there might be like three different responses depending on the context. The first foundational one though, that I would say is much like in the, I said to the young referees going to the others, it, and now I'd flip it for you guys in the sense of saying, please know that while you might be able to influence or teach, it still is up to the athlete. So you have a boundary. 
you can't control it. Anytime we try to control other people, it's never gone well in my life. <laughs> never. <laughs> um, right. So let's all have that agreement. And, and that helps you because you realize that you might be able to do some things, but the, the responsibility is on the young athlete learning, to your point, Ross, which is a good one. It helps you not be so frustrated. Hey, they're going through this aspect. And that's not until we're 26 as men that our brains are fully developed. So that's a long ways of, of it still going on. So some things that can help, however. One is, you know, managing your own. Like if you're escalating with them and you yell back at them, it's just going to keep one-upping each other. So you can set the example by keeping a calm tone. You managing your emotion and speaking slowly and concisely can at least, at the very least, help prevent from escalating it. Um, Asking for eye contact, something like that, like getting them rather than yelling at the other player or this or that seeing if you can get the eye contact. Again, you're going to be asking for this. You're not going to force, you're not going to grab them and turn them to you. Like that could be seen as, you know, fighting posture. (laughs) Right. Um, And then you, you have a decision to make to kind of say, like, if you're believing that, you know, hey, yeah, this is a game where I want to encourage and teach, you can start with sort of reflecting back. Much we had said earlier about like, hey, I see you're really angry. Like you get on their side. So rather than correcting them and telling them you can't be mad right now, this isn't helping you right now. It's it's skipping that part that we said earlier about managing the, helping them manage their emotion. So you could do something like, hey, you're, you're, I see you're really upset right now. Is this going to help or hurt you? I'll tell you, actually, when I was working, this is my one of my favorite stories. When I was, I was working with a hockey team, high school hockey team, and they were supposed to be winning, but the other team was just honestly like not getting penalties called. They were getting checked. They were they were down three nothing when we went into the first. Uh, and for the first period. And the coach turned to me and he goes, what am I going to say to these guys? He's like, what am I supposed to do? And I turned to him and I said, well, well, tell them they have a choice. They can be mad and fight like they're doing, or they can be mad and play hockey, but they can't do both. And he's like, oh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like yeah, that is really good. Yeah. I, I wish I recorded it because he went in and he gave the best Disney speech that I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I was Love like, it. whoa. And wow. he's giving credit to me. And I'm like, no, dude, like, you're roll with it. Go. <laughs> like, that's good, man. That's awesome. Players like, came out and our team scored a goal 20 seconds in and then a minute 30 in. And then before the fourth minute was up, we had our third goal. Nice. And we ended up winning the game. And Love it. it all pivoted on that idea of saying like, yes, your emotions are there, but bringing the attention back to hockey. You see this in sports all the time when people are upset and the penalties are happening. It's they, they, they cross the lines, they get the fouls because they're taking care of their emotions more than that. So I don't like, we had at least a, a period in the locker room where we could talk through it as a ref. I don't know if you have as much time, but at least getting on the same page and kind of saying like, Hey, Remember your hockey goals. That could be another phrase. Again, if you especially have relationships with these kids, I'm not saying that any of these are going to be able to work right away. Cause again, if the kid is just flipping out, it might just be like, Hey, I have to give you a warning. If you keep this up, there's going to be a penalty. And that's different than, Hey, keep it up. And I'm going to give you a penalty. So you're not going over them, but you can align with them and say, Hey, I want to help you here. If you keep this up, I'm going to have to give you a penalty. No, I, I, I like that. Cause I, I think that's good. Solid. Uh, advice and how to handle it, how to reel them back in, especially what you said there. That's perfect. That's kind of what I was looking for. So that's awesome. Good. Thanks. Otherwise I would have just kept talking. So I'm glad you, yeah, yeah, no, 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 it's good. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Exactly what, you know, that's what I was looking for there. (laughs) And and a lot of these things, like 
we we try obviously like I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but through my experience and and how I'm dealing with these um, athletes, that's we shared knowledge is kind of what we go for in the referee community. Mm-hmm. So like you know we pass down what we've learned, and it's always nice so having an outside person come in and say more or less the same things that we try to teach because we've learned over the years, but now we have someone that's way more qualified than Nat and I are to, to come in and, and tell us these things. So I, I definitely greatly appreciate that part. Well, I love the synergy and all the time that you guys were playing hockey, I was studying psychology. So it's, it works. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't, absolutely. I wouldn't that's call really what cool. I did playing hockey. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really why, cool. that's why I'm a referee. <laughs> It's like, what is that? Uh, what did Wes McCauley told a player on one of his mic'd up things? Said, How'd oh, you yeah. end up being a referee? And he was like, Because I was a crummy hockey player. <laughs> you know, so, um, but yeah, cool. Well, I mean, we've been going for about 45 minutes. Um, I've got, I don't really have a whole lot more. This has been awesome. Is there any, any last kind of tidbits that you want to, that you want to add, Dr. Eddie? And, and, uh, you know, um, we're going to plug all your stuff on the outro. Uh, so your website, you've got a really good YouTube channel. I like, I'll plug it now. Like your YouTube channel, he's got these like 90 second uh, kind of clips. I, I watch a bunch of those. It's like, man, those are actually pretty good. So, um, thanks. Yeah, I really intense. It's mental. It started off mental toughness in 60 seconds, and then I got a little bit more, and a couple of them hit two minutes. But they tend to try to be brief, but I try to make them super practical. So that that is a a free resource that I have on there. For a closing point, I guess what I would say is, is I just invite you to respect the mental and emotional game for yourself and for your athletes. Um, it's been many decades that, you know, people were like, you know, didn't like psychology. And we've been, I think, fortunate to move more into respecting mental health and understanding that these mental and emotional skills, if you're not training them, you're going to be left behind. And, and that goes for athletes, it goes for refs, it goes for, honestly, I believe in your marriage and in your business place. There's there's a greater respect coming out for the idea that this isn't just something that we have inside of us and we just have to deal with it. There's science out there and there's techniques that you can learn. And these are skills that you've learned today that you can build. So, I mean, I, I downloaded a whole bunch of stuff in this podcast. I'm asking you just to pick one. I don't expect you to do everything we said there. Again, I went to school for many, many years. Like you're not going to be able to do everything that we said on this podcast, but please please bookmark it. And every couple of weeks, come back to it, pick one strategy and practice it. Because if you have it up here and I'm pointing to my head and it just stays there, it's useless. Tell my athletes all the time, knowledge without action is just useless. Psychology is not about having some insight. So please take something and change the way that you're communicating. Change the way you're relating to your emotions inside. Take that deep breath, ask that different question. And just like you've been training your, your athletic and physical skills, Take the time and have the patience and the persistence to train your mental skills. And once you nail that one that you've picked here, listen to this podcast again and pick out something else. Or go to my YouTube channel and you can get another one of them. Right, right. yeah, absolutely. But, but make yeah. this a lifelong process, as we talked about again earlier. Please respect the mental game as a process and develop that skill. And, and I promise you the rewards will be outstanding in your life and performance. And that's such a great point because so much of the game for us is mental. Like we're not, we're not going out there trying to score goals or we're trying to make sure the game is fair. And then in that process, sometimes we get into our own heads and learning how to handle that with a lot of the tips that you gave us today will help us 
you know, as we're skating up and down the ice, trying to stay out of our own head and just in, you know, enjoying the hockey game as well as, you know, executing our job as an official on the ice. Well, I've got training on that too. You said staying out of our own head. That's one of the biggest performance skills we didn't even touch on, but the ability to be fully engaged in the moment about us being in our heads. We are always swimming in our thoughts and feelings. We are never without a thought or feeling. So why wouldn't we want to train that when we have to bring it with us everywhere that we go? Again, if you've ever felt in the zone in anything in your in your life, you know it's that ability to to detach from all the stuff that's happening psychologically and just be present on the outside with what's actually going on. So that's a huge skill that I work with my clients. It's uh oh my gosh, we could just go on and on. I could do a plug for sleep too, the number one performance enhancer. I'm hinting, guys, bring me back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Man, we'd, no, we we'd love could definitely to have you do back. this again. That's yeah. for sure. Unfortunately, that's all the time we've got right now, but. We're definitely going to have you back on. Thank you so much for being here. Ross and I will be right back with you guys in the Team Stripes podcast. Short break. Everybody, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Eddie O'Connor. It was awesome. Um, as someone who has struggled with their own mental health issues, not necessarily referee related, um, but I, I, at times referee related, it was right. nice to be able to, um, to talk to him and listen to him and, and get some perspective. I know a few of the things that he talked about is, are, are things that I'm definitely going to apply moving forward. Um, and it, it's nice also hearing a professional reiterate some of the things that, you know, we already know, but we've heard from just other referees. You know what I'm saying? That? Yeah, dude, absolutely, man. Like that's something where we talk about a lot of this stuff, but it's, it's nice to, to hear it validated. It's also nice. To, I think, I think some of the things that he was really good at was being able to just, when we would ask a question, we go, yeah, but what's really your question? You know? Oh yeah, I'm saying this. And it was like, you're just able to like, it's like the hot knife through butter, you know, just kind of, yeah. kind of chipping away at the other stuff and, and really kind of putting, putting that into perspective, right? The, Hey, I would, I want to get better um, type stuff or well, the, I don't want to make a mistake type stuff. Exactly. And, and, and that question there, like, what's your question? Like as hockey guys, right? Like I knew where you were going with it. Yeah. And I think everyone else will kind of pick that up, but you know, the doctor then comes in and, and then, you know, elaborates and we go in further. And honestly, like, yeah. like we said, it was just, it was awesome. We both, we both definitely enjoyed it. Um, we're going to have them on again in the future. Not sure when, but maybe over the summer and it'll be something where we'll open up the forum to, uh, to definitely maybe see if anyone's interested in asking asking some more questions outside of what we've already talked about. Absolutely. And I think you guys are going to have a ton of questions. Um, once, um, you know, once you listen to it, I think uh, you'll have more questions and you'll want to post stuff, put stuff in the comments. So please do that. Cause that's going to be, you know, Ross and I are just two dudes and we think alike. So, yep. you know, and of course some of Nat's pilot jargon came out. It did, man. I, you know what? I don't know what it is, but like, how does a pilot, I, I should totally ask him this, how, how as a pilot do you tell people that 
you you don't not just tell people you're a pilot like because i don't think i think <laughs> well, there's that it's, like it's kind of like saying that um uh, one of my favorite things is if you're a vegan and a crossfitter what do you tell people you are first <laughs> right right do you yeah. say that you're a vegan crossfitter or you do you say that you're a crossfitter that's vegan right right uh, who knows you know I, I, <laughs> I, I but but it goes to say i thought it was really cool that he also talked about um separating yourself from the fact that like just because you're a referee or just because i'm a pilot doesn't mean that that's how I, you define yourself but we do that in so many things you know like we use the things that we do to define ourselves and i think it's something that um it was i don't know it was just great to talk with him about Really and it's it. funny when 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 he said that line. All I could think yeah. about was Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. The fighter pilot isn't who I am; it's what I am. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh boy, but that's why you're single, and you know, yeah. So, but yeah, it was good. Um, what do you have coming up? Uh, anything? Um, this weekend is easy. Got a couple of college games Friday night, and then I'm done. Next weekend is the meat grinder. I go four and four. Oh, Pensy wow. Pensy, Huntsville, Macon. Oh wow. That's gonna and, be a fun weekend though. Um yeah, I'm gonna have to uh I'm gonna have to see if the old thirty seven year old body can do what the twenty five year old body used to do. Oh man. That's gonna I'm be looking, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it though. Um last weekend we had a great weekend of games, had uh Fayetteville and Peoria in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the top teams in the Southern pro hockey league, they played awesome. I'm not going to lie. That might've been the best quality SPHL games I've ever worked. That's really cool. Flying up and down the ice, moving the puck. Uh, Fayetteville looked great. Um, and Peoria definitely looked awesome too. Uh, it's crazy. Like, so Fayetteville, one of the crappy parts about playing good in the SP is that you lose all your guys. Yep. Fayetteville currently has 11 guys on loan. Oh, wow. Uh, to the coast. Wow. They're, just, they're just finding guys that come in and fit the system that they're playing, and they're still winning games. It's nuts. I mean, that's great for the league. That means the league's just going to get better and better if it's got to yep. compete with that, right? Yep. So. And then uh, it was interesting too. One of the, I was talking in Fayetteville, I was talking to the trainer about some stuff and he was like, oh, and keep in mind, minor minor league hockey is going to get a lot better next year because apparently there's three classes worth of players graduating from the NCAA this season. Oh, wow. Really? Because there were three classes that got COVID exemptions. Oh, yeah. So there's going to be an influx of D1 and D3 players going to the American League, the Coast, and the SP. So it's definitely going to be next year. It's going to be interesting. And then um, it's not 100% set in stone yet, but it it looks like there's going to be another team in the SP next season uh, in um, Athens, Georgia. Interesting. Um, So they'll be up to 11 teams. But That's cool. yeah, no, the league, honestly, it's been fun going back to that league and I, I've worked a few coast game or yeah, quite a few coast games this year. Well, I yeah. shouldn't say quite a few, but I've worked some, I got to work with, um, some good dudes, uh, my last few games and, and we had fun up in Jacksonville. So that was good. And then I think other than that, I got high school States and we'll see what happens in March. And I think I'm going to AAU nationals. So what about you? Nice dude. Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, man. So stuff's been, uh, this weekend's going to be a little busy. Not a lot. I've just got one high school game Friday. I got a college game Saturday night. Unfortunately, I'm going to be at work all day on Saturday, which is during our um, Hockey Fights Autism uh, uh, day. So that's always fun. Get to wear, you know, special striped sweaters. And they always pack the crowd and, you know, special uh, awesome. special opening puck drops, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'll catch the tail end of that for the, the college game that evening. Western's playing uh, Toledo. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, the dude, this last weekend, I got to go to the, uh, the Michigan Invitational High School Showcase. Um, I got to work Detroit Catholic Central playing Houghton, which was probably one of the best high school games I've ever seen. Um, two to one Catholic Central over Houghton was really great. Then, uh, then we're Trenton playing Marquette. That one went to a shootout, uh, worked with some really, really great officials. Um, you know, it's really interesting when you get, when you go to a high school tournament and you're working with Olymp, you know, folks with Olympic resumes and pro hockey mm-hmm. resumes and all that kind of stuff for, as officiating. Oh. And you've got folks on the benches wearing Stanley cup rings. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's crazy, right? It's, it's kind of one of those, it, I would say it's almost as good as probably the Minnesota stuff. You know, nothing's going to be, you know, there's not no. going to be high school. That's as good anywhere. As the Minnesota. Yeah. Is the Minnesota one, right? That's just insane. But, um, yeah. But it was cool, you know, talking with guys, you talk about guys on loan. Here's high school kids who are like, yeah, he's playing up in the USHL or he just committed to this NCAA team, uh, you know, and uh, or is going over across the border to play major junior mm-hmm. um, as a high school kid, which I think is is insane. But um, but it was really cool. Uh, nice. I don't know if I said this. Another thing, I, I don't know if I said this in this last post, but uh, I got to work with um there's a guy who's the, oh, he still holds an NCAA points uh, record. He still holds the the NCAA points record, a guy named Dave Roast. Dave is a, a Rost is a, went to West Point and then, uh, and then served as an, as an army officer for a career. Uh, but it's great to come back and, and referee with him because A, he can oh, skate no, like the wind. That's and, awesome. Right. And B, you know, you work an ACHA game with him and nobody talks, right? Because everyone is on the ice at uh-huh. Hope playing um, Grand Valley. And they all know yeah. who he is, right? Yeah, right. Well, because if they don't and they say something, their teammates are like, dude, uh, that dude is the all-time points like leading record holder for the NCAA. Uh, in hockey. That's yeah, in wild. hockey, right? So, like, don't, you know, and he's a great guy. So, I, I got to work awesome. with him. That's coming so cool. yeah like I said it was really cool uh and he's you know and he works a lot of games he coaches as well so uh, love to hear it guy like that work grind and rough yeah hockey yeah exactly That's awesome um but yeah you know it's, it's so we've got playoffs high school hockey playoffs is coming up ACHA playoffs coming up um it was 60 degrees here in western Michigan so you know nice. the full spring has happened and uh man I'm um, nah, you know, it ain't full spring yet you're gonna need at least one more day of snow oh no we're i mean guaranteed to have at least two right <laughs> so whereas you guys get three to four feet of sunshine anyway uh yeah so that's kind of what we got going on um up you know we've got some other folks that we're gonna have coming up for guests that i think you guys will like um but and for now i'm just i'm just gonna put a a plug out to one of our friends who's celebrating her uh 14th anniversary since she went to the olympics hi kelly oh nice (laughs) yeah (laughs) hello kelly um but yeah 
uh, I got, I really got nothing else. I don't, I don't think anyone needs to hear our voices anymore. So nope, not at all. I'm tired awesome. to listen to my own, and I'm sure you're tired to listen to mine. So yeah. with that said, this has been the Team Stripes podcast, and we will catch you guys on the this next episode. One. Brought to you by Team Stripes Academy. Learn from some of the top officials in the world. Start today at TeamStripesAcademy.com. You're listening to the Team Stripes podcast, the podcast for hockey referees. Each show, we discuss the world of officiating and find out that not everything is in black and white.